You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. It is so good to be back with you. Welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting or new or with us, I am the lead pastor. I just haven't been here for a couple of weeks. As Andy just said, I was in Mexico for the last couple of weeks. And uh, last Sunday, I knew we got in around like 10.30 p.m. on Saturday night. And I thought, ah, I'm just not sure. You know, if there's any delay in the flight, I don't want to be calling Andy at 2 in the morning and be like, hey, bud, you want to write a sermon for this morning? So we had Darren and Andy, my friend Andy, speak from Auburn Church of Christ. And didn't they do an amazing job if you were here? Seriously. So thankful for both of them and the word they brought. And um, what you're going to find today, if you're visiting with us, is we're walking through the book of Luke. And we're in Luke chapter 6. And what happens is we've added these like section breaks in, in our English translations. And we've added verses and chapters. In the original Greek text, it's just one long story. And you just kept reading. And so what happens is we can read a section and study it and meditate on it and think about it and process it. But all of this goes together. So where Darren stopped as part of today's conversation and where Andy stopped as part of Darren's conversation. And so we're really just continuing to build on it. So if you weren't here, don't worry, I'll bring you up to speed. But let me show you where we've been, ready? Or let me show you actually where we're going and then I'll talk about where we've been, right? Luke chapter six, verse 37 says this. Do not judge. Let's just stop there for a second. Blah. Like, wouldn't everybody here say at some point or another in your life you felt judged? You felt condemned? I mean, this is the world that we live in today, especially with social media and whatnot. It is so easy to go online and post something about somebody else, or it's so easy to make a passive-aggressive comment or, or maybe an aggressive-aggressive comment, right? And you, you just say something, and people just feel so condemned. I meet with people who just, it was their own parents, it was their spouse. They just feel so beat down, beat up, condemned. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So let's talk about this idea of being judged. What is it and what does it mean? I remember uh, sitting at a lunch. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me. But I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine. He was a, he was a, a pastor for a while, and um, he ended up um, doing something immoral that he shouldn't have done, and he admits that freely. And uh, there's a long story and backstory, and I don't have him here to tell his story, but uh, through a series of events, he ended up actually at a treatment facility, similar to like you would go to for AA, but for this particular issue. And while he was in there, he talked about how at first he wasn't real serious and, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I just got to get through this season and I'll get back to my normal life. And uh, in the middle of it, God really got a hold of him and got his attention and the spirit just broke him in a profound way. And he realized, maybe I think he was in there for 90 days or so, or 30 days in or whatever it was, he just realized, well, I have a gift and I have an opportunity to really come out of here transformed and changed. And he said, what really became different, one of the major things that became different about me at that moment was I stopped judging and condemning other people. He said, there were other people there who'd done things far worse than I had done. They'd done all kinds of illegal and illicit things. And it would have been normal for me to judge them, to, to cast a stone at them, to, to, to condemn them. 
But now I'm sitting with them and I'm finding out something about their story. I'm hearing their background. I'm hearing where they fell. I'm seeing a pattern and a series of steps that led them to that tragic place. And I'm looking at their series of steps. Now I'm looking at my series of steps and it's dawning on me, wow, I just got caught before you did. There's really nothing saying I wouldn't have ended up where you ended up. And there was this humility in his voice. Let's talk about this word judge for a minute, all right? The word judge here in Luke chapter 6 is the Greek word krino, krino. You don't really need to know that, but I just like to do it. So anyway, krino means to pronounce someone as good or evil. It's like a court. It literally means to settle a matter. That would be like the most literal translation. If you look at the way it's used throughout ancient Greek, uh, that's the way that it's consistently used. Uh, the, the, the reason that's important is when you put judge with condemn, that's when you get a true courtroom setting. You picture yourself as the quote-unquote judge. That's where we get the word judging somebody, right? You get the idea of a judge, and he is pronouncing an issue as decided. This is what it is. And the very next thing that the judge is able to do then is to condemn, is to pronounce a sentence. And that's why these two things are so closely related. That's why Jesus says, do not judge or you'll be judged. Do not condemn or you'll be condemned. Uh, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. The whole, it's all wrapped up in the blender. You, you don't judge without condemning. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is warning us against. He's like, don't do these two things. You are not the judge. There is only one judge. Now, what really messes this whole thing up for us, because we can all understand that because we have all felt this at some point. Somebody called you a name. Somebody said something about you. You did something and you felt it. You knew it. And you're like, ah, only God can judge me. You've seen this, right? And there is a truth in that. It's not the whole truth, but it is, there is a truth in that. But what makes this even harder is this. I want you to remember something really important. Context is king. Context is king. What that means is when you read a verse in the Bible, you don't get to take that verse and go get a tattoo. I mean, you can if you want to. Nothing is stopping you. People do it all the time. But that verse has a context. It is in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a chapter, in the middle of a letter or a book, and it's written from one person to another group of people. It's dealing with a specific issue. And if you just extrapolate verses and you don't understand their context, then you miss the entire point of what's trying to be said. And this one is even more true than any other because it is worse than you actually thought. You gotta bring in Andy's sermon from two weeks ago and Darren's sermon from last week to really get the context of what Jesus is driving to. So let me just build off Darren since I don't have time to do all of that and just say, do you remember what we talked about last week? It was about loving your enemies. That's the backdrop. In fact, let me just go over a few of these with you. I made, I made a, like a list of eight things that we see specifically in Luke chapter six that we are told to do. Loving my enemies literally means lending to them without expecting repayment. Who does that? Like literally, I want you to picture for a minute, who is that person in your life that just drives you the crazy the most? Is it your sibling, your sister, your brother? Is it your neighbor? Is it some coworker? A childhood, uh, I don't know, person you grew up with? Is it your parents or your children? Who is the person who causes the most angst in your life? Now, I want you to imagine they come knocking on your door. That's probably a bad idea. Don't do that again. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. 
and they say, hey, um, I know we aren't the best of friends, but, and money's really tight. Can I borrow $1,000? And you say, no, but you can have $1,000. Who does that? But Jesus says, do it. And then he says, bless them instead of cursing them. Again, Darren tried to kind of get into this. The whole idea here is you're not going to spew words at them. You're not gonna call down evil from heaven on them. Instead, you're gonna give them the opposite. Return their curses with prayers. So when they are doing this to you, you're at work, you're in public, wherever it is, and they are cursing at you, instead of doing it back to them, you're going to just stop and pray for them. And not in an arrogant or haughty way, you're gonna do it in a very humble, God help them. Help them to know you the way that I do, to love you the way that I do. And then you're gonna do to them as you want them to do to you. And you've heard that, right? That golden rule, right? But it's so, so hard. And then there's more. That's not even all he says. Verse number five, verse five, number five. He says, uh, be merciful to them as God is merciful to you. So in other words, if God does it to you, you do it to them. So when you offend God and you hurt God and you sin against God, he's saying, I want you to do to them what I do to you. Do I forgive you? Am I patient with you? Am I gracious with you? Am I kind to you? Do I provide for you? Do I meet your needs? You go do the same thing for them. By the way, these same principles would revolutionize your marriage. If you're in a very, very difficult spot and you're having a hard time getting out of it, man, let me just save you $100 an hour in counseling. Practice this list. It would change everything. Number six, don't judge them. Now we're getting to that. And number seven, don't condemn them. And number eight, forgive them. But all of this is in the context of your enemies, your enemies. See, the kind of love, this kind of love, is what truly sets the follower of Christ apart from those who do not follow Christ. It's what makes us, supposed to make us, unique. And I have this anxiety, and maybe you can relate, that... that uh, Many Christians have not done this well. And so much of the world feels condemned by Christians, feels judged by Christians instead of loved by Christians. Now, this is usually the moment where we, we go, yeah, but, but, but pastor, wait, wait, wait. There's more that is said on this topic in the scriptures, and you're not wrong. You're not wrong. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, he is really irritated at the church in Corinth. They've got all these amazing things about them. They have great faith. They have amazing spiritual gifts. They can do all these miraculous things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, they are just broken in so many other ways. And one of the ways that they're broken is uh, that they are abusing grace. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, you have a person among you who is having uh, an immoral relationship with his father's wife. It is most likely not his mom, or he would have just said with his mother. But he is something, whether it's his stepmom or, or, or I don't know, just a girlfriend. I don't know what, I don't know what the situation is. His dad, his mom died, his mom remarried. We don't know exactly what's going on. His dad could be dead, and now his, his, maybe his dad remarried, and dad's dead, and son was like, oh, well, then I can have her, whatever it is. But there's somebody in the church in Corinth who is having a relationship with his father's wife, and the church is like, isn't grace amazing? Isn't it great that you can do whatever you want and Jesus doesn't care? And Paul's like, are you crazy? He's like, the rest of the world outside of the church is looking at you and saying, you guys are nuts. Nobody thinks that's okay. 
Now, this is actually found in Leviticus chapter 19 where it spells out relationships that are acceptable and unacceptable in God's eyes. And this one is mentioned as an unacceptable relationship in God's eyes. So he has a foundation to point to. But his whole comment to them in that moment is, you should be judging those inside the church. You shouldn't be judging those outside the church. And now we have a conundrum. How can Jesus say, do not judge? And Paul says, well, yeah, but only if they're in the church. And it's really not that hard to understand. Paul is getting everything he said in 1 Corinthians 5 right out of this very text with Jesus. Because there is a thing about judging and condemning when they go together. Because judging has to do with settling a matter. But it always comes down to the heart. So if I judge and condemn, I settle the matter. This is what you are. This is who you are. This is how you're going to be. I've decided in my mind, and then I condemn you. Therefore, you're going to go to hell. Therefore, you're not saved. Therefore, you're not good enough. Therefore, you, and you notice that, right? My, my little nine-year-old figured out this thing that many of us learned when we were kids. He came to me the other day. He said, Dad, if you ever want to point at somebody, go like this. I was like, I already knew where this was going. I don't know where he learned it, but I was like, why, buddy? He goes, because if you go like this, then you got more fingers pointing back at you. And I was like, yeah, or just don't point. <laughs> it's an option. Probably learned from his mom. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's in the next service, you know. I'm kidding, okay. But you get it, right? Again, I want to stress this one verse. It's the critical verse. As we enter, well, What do we do? How do we handle all this? Luke chapter 6, 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I love the way Jesus says this. Father. You know, at one point Jesus says, don't call anybody father on earth because you have only one father and he's in heaven. And I realize some of you feel judged or condemned by your earthly dads. That's not everybody. I certainly hope it's not my kids. But for those of you who do, Jesus points directly at your father. And he's like, your father, God, your father, he's merciful. He's merciful. In fact, a story that'll come up later in the book of Luke, and I'm gonna use this a lot, so forgive me that I'm repeating myself. But he tells a story about a Pharisee who comes into a worship service and he says, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like those sinners and tax collectors and then there's a tax collector who comes into the back of the room and he won't even look up to heaven. He just looks down at the ground in shame and he says, Father, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man walked away justified that day, not the other one. And that was all it took? But yeah, because when you understand just how powerful and big God is and that he is the final judge and the final ruler, it takes away from me the desire to be the one to insert myself into God's position and to judge others. There's a humility that has to come with this. And in this story that Jesus uses, the tax collector understands that he's a sinner in need of mercy. And the father wants to show him mercy. And that therefore we are encouraged to have the same position of humility and understanding that God has shown us unbelievable mercy. And therefore, everybody around us deserves that same mercy. But it doesn't erase that tension between 1 Corinthians 5 and Luke 6. 
What do we do with it? Well, we're not ready to address it yet. So you got to get this. Yes, we're talking about enemies, but Jesus' assumption is that I already do these things for my loved ones, right? He is encouraging us to go ahead and do it for everyone. And what that means is if you have kids, if you don't, you'll still get the illustration. I realize not everybody here has kids. But if you have kids and your kids do something they're not supposed to do, or they backtalk you. I mean, I'm not saying my kids, because my kids would never do that. But, you know, if a kid theoretically has a bad moment, right, a toxic moment, and they, they do something they're not supposed to do, they backtalk you about it, and they get a bad attitude, you know this as a parent, right? As soon as they humble themselves and just say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or I accept that you're the parent, or whatever it is, you just move on, right? Because you love them. The whole reason you're disciplining them and holding them accountable is because you want good for them. I will often look at my kids and say, I want you to know how to be a man under authority because we are all under authority somewhere with someone. It could be a police officer or a president or a boss or whatever it is, your wife, wherever it is, I'm just kidding, wherever it is, just seeing if you're with me, Wherever it is that you are under authority, you're going to have to learn to live under authority. That means to respect and to honor and to follow and obey in ways that are not disagreeing with God and his word. And so I'm like, buddy, I'm just trying to teach you these things. I just want you to wrap your head around these things. So when my son messes up, I've already got a pocket full of grace for me to reach into and give it to him because I expect him to need to grow in this. And Jesus is trying to say, have that same approach, the same approach that you would give your kids, give your enemies. Do you see why that's radical? Like who does that? People who love Jesus. That's why in Luke 6, 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I used an illustration years ago and somebody used it back with me recently. I thought that was funny because I didn't realize that they were referencing this illustration. I was like, oh, you were listening. And uh, I don't know if anybody else here likes 7-Eleven. We don't really have them really close by. But see, Icy's are not Slurpees. I'm sorry. Please don't be offended if you're an Icy fan. Slurpees are a whole different thing. And there was a season in my life where I went and bought one of those massive 7-Eleven thermal cups. And see, if you want to make a really good Slurpee, you go in, you pick all your flavors that you think make a good blend, and you put it in there, right? And then you tap that puppy down. And you keep tapping it until all the bubbles pop and just... And it sinks down. And then you put another flavor in you. And then you put the lid on, right? You get a lid, and it's got like a bubble on top. So you can, you can fill it up more. And I think that's exactly, I think Jesus was looking into the future into Slurpees when he said this. That's exactly what he had in mind. Because it says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Like literally, I'm tapping this bad boy, and it's spilling over. And that's exactly, okay, maybe that's not what he had in mind, but it should have been. Anyway, so Jesus, just come ask me next time you want to write the scriptures. I got some ideas for you. Okay. The whole idea here is when you choose to be kind, when you choose to be generous, when you choose to be forgiving, when you choose to be merciful, when you do something that's truly radical and not like the world says it ought to be, it just spills over into your lap. It becomes this blessing that just keeps going and going and going. 
Perhaps a better analogy is like a 20 ounce soda and you shake it up and you set it down, you open it and just Because you can't contain those things. Everybody judges. Everybody condemns. It's the world we live in. But what if you were not to be like the world we live in? What if you were not to repay insult for insult and curse for curse, but what if you were to actually repay blessing and prayer and good deeds for evil? There's a gentleman in our church, and the whole reason he's here and has faith in Jesus is because another gentleman in our church for years tried to share the gospel with him. But this first gentleman that I referenced, he was so cruel and so mean towards the first gentleman that the other gentleman who came to our church originally, he gave up. He's like, I just determined in my heart, I was done. I was gonna avoid conversation with him. I was avoiding him. And he would still find ways to just come and make jabs at me, make jabs at me, make jabs at me. And through a series of events, he eventually found himself here, gave his life to Christ, and he's been here growing for a very long time. And the first or the second gentleman, the, the one who was sharing his faith, he told me once, he's like, I couldn't believe it in my heart. I was, just, I was done. I was just ready to be done. And if you were to sit with the both of them, they laugh about it today, right? They laugh about it, but it probably wasn't that funny in the moment. What's it like to patiently and graciously return barbs, right? So when somebody's attacking you, you don't attack back. It literally can change people, but it takes time. And then Jesus says in verse 39, he also told them this parable. So this parable, right? Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? I mean, which is kind of a funny analogy, right? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Well, why did he put these two statements together? This is a parable. This is a saying, right? He told them this parable. Here's the parable, and then here's the saying, the application of it. So the blind can't lead the blind. So Jesus, what are you trying to get to? What, I don't understand. What are you, what are you trying to say? Well, you think about it, right? If you want your enemy to know the mercy of Jesus that you know, if you want your enemy to know the grace of Jesus that you know, if you want your enemy to love Jesus, the one that you know, the blind can't lead the blind. So somebody has to lead them. If you return hate for hate, it's the blind leading the blind. If you return curse for curse, it's the blind leading the blind. If you want to be different, become like Jesus. No student is above their teacher, but if you become fully trained by Jesus, then you will be able to respond in love when you're receiving hate. And then it becomes easier not to judge. Do you get it? The goal the goal, the end game is to be more like Jesus Christ. And I, you know, Darren, last week, he made like this one-line sentence and moved on. And I was like, oh, that's like a whole sermon, Darren. Stop and talk about that for me. But the whole idea here is this is spirit-driven mercy. Spirit-driven. You don't have what it takes inside you. You might for a season. If you're getting enough rest and you're eating enough protein and vegetables and you're not just spiking in carbs and caffeine and you're not overly stressed, busy, you know, work isn't overwhelming, your kids aren't totally crazy and disobeying, you can for a while be nice or ignore something. But someday you're going to have a bad day and on that day you're going to need a power that's bigger than yourself. And you're gonna have to tap into that power. And that's what Jesus is saying. I got the power, right? I, I, can, I can hook you up, right? You have to be like over 40 maybe 
and, and have owned NBA jams or whatever at some point, right? Def jams or whatever that was called. All right, anyway. But then here's the home run. Luke 6, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? The word for plank here, actually, um, I don't even have a piece of wood that would truly reference it. But I want to give you an idea. So the word for plank here is the very wood used uh, in the beams of their houses. You know, they have these stone houses and um, clay mixed in and somehow to make it like a concrete base. And they would put these long wood beams and they'd be like the rafters. I showed a picture a couple weeks ago of what it could look like back in the day. It was a recreation, but you get the idea. And in between these beams, they would use various kinds of thatch and, and, and mud, clay mixed together to create a roof for them. Jesus uses the word here for a beam that's probably significantly longer than this because it has to span the width of the room. It's just the biggest one I had in my garage. And this is the word for plank. And then he says, but you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye while looking at the speck in your brother's eye. And what's interesting, I think, is that Jesus is the son of a carpenter, right? So Jesus is well aware of what he's saying. It's not an accident. Now, they didn't have power tools back then, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's way too bad. But the word here used for speck is in reference to a piece of wood that came off of that long plank that was used in the roof. It literally is in reference to the same thing. And the reason I think that is so powerful, Jesus truly is a master teacher. When he's saying these things, you're like, whoa, he's really deep, right? But what he's saying is they're of the same substance. Do you get it? They're from the same thing. So thinking back to my friend earlier, this is what dawned on him 30 days in. It dawned on him. He's been really judgmental of those other guys because of how far they went, but he's realizing the root is the same. He's got the same problem they have. He just got caught or stopped a few steps sooner. And see, when you start to realize that, that's when it really starts to sink into you the amount of humility that we need to really approach people in this world. You know what's really interesting? This isn't even the word for speck. This is. Jesus is saying, that's what's in your eye that's what's in their eye. And you go, no. Do you know what they do? Jesus says, yeah. But I also know what you've done. It's a pretty powerful visual, isn't it? 
what Jesus is really trying to get to here is if you want to be in my kingdom, you have to have such an appreciation for what I have done for you that it's not about pointing out what is in them in a way that judges and condemns and hurts. But that's not the whole story. Remember, we got this tension with 1 Corinthians 5. What do we do with that? Jesus actually resolves that tension here. In verse 42, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You're like, what is he talking about? Well, let's just visualize this, okay? This is me. I don't even know if I can do this, right? This is me. I'm serious. And this, because I dropped mine, is them. Now, the problem is, when I have this coming out of my eye, I can't get to you. You ever have a kid who has a, a speck in their eye or your spouse, right? And they come to you like, oh, help, help. And you're like, hold still. Well, imagine if you got this bad boy sticking out of your eye. How close to them are you gonna be able to get to help them? Well, about as close as the plank. You can never get any closer than the plank. Are you with me? See, the alternative to judging somebody is to assist them in love. So, what if I were to see the whole reason that God put me here is to come alongside them, to actually help them get the speck out of their eye? But before I could take the speck out of their eye, I gotta get the plank out of mine. And this goes right back to the blind leading the blind concept. How can I see clearly enough to take the speck out of your eye if I still have a plank in my own eye? I better first deal with my plank so that I can see clearly to help you with your speck. It doesn't mean, Jesus doesn't mean don't help people with the speck in their eye. Jesus means don't stand back with something in your eye that's just as big and a really big deal between you and God and ignore it as if you got all your stuff together. See, where we are in the world today is the world says, well, don't judge me, only God could judge me. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong, only God could judge me. He's the final judge. But what Jesus is saying is not that. Jesus is saying, love somebody enough to help them, to do something about it. But first, deal with your stuff so that you have authority and character and integrity. You ever try to go help somebody and they're like, buddy, look at you. You better clean up your house before you come try to clean up mine. So before you assist somebody else, you got to deal with your own stuff. First, take the plank out of your eye. Remember that Jesus goes on in Luke chapter six and he actually says this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick fig trees from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Again, it's just a, a, a really powerful but simple analogy. Look at somebody's life. Do you ever look at somebody's life and go, man, I wish I had the peace that is in their home. I wish I had the financial stability that's in their home. I wish I had the, the, the life and the joy that is in their home. If they have that, they truly have that, it's not just something they're putting on social media and presenting like they have it, like they truly have that, 
Man, that's a good tree producing good fruit, and you might want to go to them and say, hey, can you help me? I got something in my eye. And that's the point of what Jesus is trying to say. You can look at each other and discern, judge whether a good tree exists, right? You can look at it. If the tree is all toxic apples, you're going to go, I don't want to eat any of those apples. That's not judging in a condemning and final way. It's a matter of discerning their life and saying, this person needs help. And that's what Paul's trying to get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You look at that man's life who's having a relationship with his dad's wife, and you go, there's something bad fruitish about that. That doesn't line up with what Jesus calls us to do. But the goal then is not to condemn. The goal is to go to them and call them out and call them to a higher calling in Jesus Christ. And man, I got to tell you, oh, that I have people like that in my life who are willing to speak the hard truths that I really don't want to hear, but I need to. And the second thing is before you assist someone else, you've got to earn the right to be close to them, right? Again, if this thing is sticking out of my eye, how in the world could I be close to you to see? Could you imagine me trying to get something out of your eye, but this thing sticking out of mine? It wouldn't work. So I got to deal with my stuff so I can get close enough to you. Because Jesus goes on in verse 45 and he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. One way to discern good fruit and bad fruit is just listen to the words coming from somebody. Are they trying to help? Are they trying to bless? Do they often put down? Are they critical? Are they often cursing and telling perverse jokes and just laughing about them? Oh, it's just getting a laugh. It's just a joke. It's just humor. Like, look at the fruit, and then you'll know what the tree is all about. So again, what would it look like if I were to deal with my stuff? All right, here's what I want us to do. I want you to pull out your communion cups. All right, this is really important. I don't say this often, okay? So please don't miss this. Please don't tune out. It is so important. Paul is addressing the church, and I believe it's the church in Corinth, actually, and he says to them, before you take this bread and this juice, you need to examine yourselves. You need to examine yourselves because you are about to eat and drink the presence of Almighty God. He even goes on, he says, some of you are sick because you're not doing this. You're not taking this seriously. Honestly, that's a whole sermon in itself that I'm not sure what to do with always. But if nothing else, it is intended to show us that Jesus is with us. This is not just a thing we do in our service. We are actually reminding ourselves and celebrating that God is with us, this bread, this juice. So here's what I want you to do today. In your communion time, I want you to draw into the presence of God. I've got four questions I want kicking around in your head. And here's those four questions. Is there any plank that I need to deal with that I'm ignoring? Anything in my life? And God, through this message, is revealing to me, I gotta get this plank out of my eye. And maybe perhaps part of it is, I gotta stop looking at this thing like it's a speck, because it's not a speck. To God, it's a plank. Is there anyone that I need to show mercy to rather than condemnation and judgment? I've been mean or harsh or critical, said a gracious, merciful, patient, kind. Is there anyone that I need to seek forgiveness from for judging them in the past? I said something And I created a wound or a barrier between them and God because of what I said. Is there anyone with a speck in their eye that I have taken out my plank and so proximity-wise, I'm close to them now, and God is calling me to help them clean out their eye. 
but honestly, I'm avoiding it because I don't want to deal with it. It's too awkward, it's too hurtful, it's too painful. I want you to go in communion, just have these kinds of questions in your mind and talk to Jesus and let him talk to you back. And then I just, I want to ask you to ask him to help you be bold enough to actually do whatever it is he tells you to do. Let's pray. Father, would you meet us right here, right now? Jesus, thank you for powerful illustrations. I just pray, God, you'd meet us in this place and uh, build us up, encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us so that we could be fully trained like our master. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. close our service today by singing uh, a song I just love. I love this song. I had it on repeat a few years ago, just over and over and over again. It's really a cry for God to come and intervene in your life. And there may be no topic more than this one where we need God to intervene. We need God to help us. So I just want to encourage you, if you know it, just to belt it out. And if you don't, just drink in the words. Let them kind of marinate over you as you are just listening to and reading the words. I wanna encourage you to stand with me and uh, I'm gonna pray for us. Father, we need you. Every hour we need you. We need you to take the planks out of our eyes. We need you to humble us, God, that we might be lifted up. We need you to give us a, a new mind, new heart. It is so easy, Lord, to look at others whose sins and struggles are different than ours and to condemn and to judge. But you're calling us to something bigger and better than that. You're calling us to love them, to come alongside them. God, show us how. Open doors. We love you. Let us truly be different that the world may know there's a God in heaven who loves them. In Jesus' name.